Welcome to another edition of the Cognitive Bias Podcast. I'm your host, David Dylan Thomas, and today we're going to talk about the conjunction fallacy. And uh, a really easy way to demonstrate this is what's called the Linda problem. So the Linda problem goes something like this. I'm going to kind of quote it from uh, Wikipedia because the phrasing is kind of important. So Linda is 31 years old, single, outspoken, and very bright. She majored in philosophy. As a student, she was deeply concerned with issues of discrimination and social justice, and also participated in anti-nuclear demonstrations. Which is more probable? 1. Linda is a bank teller. 2. Linda is a bank teller and is active in the feminist movement. Now, when they asked people this, about 85% said 2 was more probable. Here's the thing. 1 is way more probable right? Because something that's more specific is always less likely, right? The odds of her being two things, right, are always going to be less than the odds of her being one thing or the other. So if it's, you know, 50% chance she's a bank teller, then there's only like a 47% chance that she's a bank teller and is active in the feminist movement. Or if it's 60% chance, you know, she's a, an active in the feminist movement, it's always going to be less that she's this and this other thing. Anytime you add another condition, you're making things less likely, not more likely. But that's not how we tend to see things. Um, uh, another example is um, they ask people, uh, what's, what's more likely, this is probably in the 80s that this particular question was asked, but what's more likely that the um, Soviet Union will invade Poland and we will um, cut off ties with them in the next year? Or is it more likely that we'll just cut off ties with the Soviet Union? Uh, people said that it was uh, less likely that we would just cut off ties with the Soviet Union and more likely that Soviet Union would invade Poland and then we'd cut off ties with them. And neither was high. It was about 4% for Soviet Union invading Poland and us cutting off ties versus 1% for us just cutting off ties with the Soviet Union. Come to think of it, you could probably ask that same question today and get similar results. But, um, but just cutting off ties with the Soviet Union is way more likely, right? Because it's one thing that might happen in the next year, not these two things having to happen. Anytime two things have to happen, it's always going to be less likely, even by a little bit. Um, another one I kind of like because it involves like multiple like uh, scenarios, and this again comes from the 80s. So this is talking about Bjorn Borg, the tennis player. So suppose he gets to the Wimbledon finals, it's 1981, and they ask people to rank which of these outcomes is you know most likely to least likely. And uh, one scenario was Borg will win the match, two, Borg will lose the first set, three, Borg will lose the first set but win the match, and four, Borg will win the first set but lose the match. And overall, people would rate Borg will lose the first set but win the match more than Borg will lose the first set. And again, it's more likely that he'll just lose the first set, right? Like just predicting that outcome, the odds are higher than these two independent things, even though sort of we feel like it makes more sense that this other thing is going to happen. And what a lot of this gets at, the reason that we fall for the con um, conjunction fallacy, is this notion of um, what uh, Daniel Kahneman calls re representativeness, right? It feels representative that Linda would be a bank teller and a feminist because we've heard these things about her that make us think, oh, she's probably a feminist. And, mm, you know, I don't know whether she's bank teller or not, but I'm going to cling to the fact that she's a feminist. So whatever other <laughs> occupation you give her, I'm going to, like, you know, conjoin those together. When in fact it's way more likely she's just a bank teller, right? That like that's actually the more likely mathematically more likely the the actual scenario. And the same with Bjorn Borg, right? Like I can totally see him losing the first set, but then going on to win because in my mind he's a winner. He's gonna win ultimately, rather than just oh he'll lose the first set and I 
you know, tell me nothing else. For whatever reason, adding this extra, you know, event that's going to make that total right package less likely makes sense to me because it's representative of what I believe about Bjorn Borg. Um, what I like, you know, I think you feel I like this because you can kind of play with this and come up with your own kind of scenarios that feel likely but are actually less likely. So I've been thinking a lot about like the Oscar race because I'm like a sort of junkie for like the Academy Awards and the award season, all the things that are happening. And Get Out is actually starting to get some awards love, which is super cool. But I was kind of writing one of these for myself. It's sort of like, okay. Scenario one, Get Out wins Best Picture. Scenario two, Get Out wins Best Screenplay. Scenario three, Get Out wins Best Picture, but not Best Screenplay. And scenario four, Get Out wins Best Picture and, and Best Screenplay. And I feel like Get Out will win Best Picture and Best Screenplay is a more likely outcome than just Get Out you know, wins Best Screenplay, right? Which, again, the odds are always going to be that any one of those is going to be more likely than any two. But that's just, you know, not how our minds work. Representatively, and what I know about the Oscars, it sort of feels like, oh, if it's going to win Best Picture and that type of movie, it's also going to win Best Screenplay. It'd be weird if it didn't get that. Often you can make this mistake around winning Best Picture and Best Director, right? They feel like they go together. Um, but, you know, that is actually less likely. And frankly, if you look at the history of the Oscars, that is never a lock, um, especially in the last 20 years or so. But that's really more for some weird Oscar podcast I should do <laughs> and doesn't belong here exactly. But yeah, I, I, I get into this stuff. But it, but it's the kind of thing where you can sort of imagine scenarios where stuff that, you know, you feel you, you know, kind of understand how they work. You'll predict these two things to be more likely than just the one thing. Um, and I feel like that, you know, this is why it's kind of easier for us to think about, like, individual, very specific stories Um than it is for us to think about more general things, right? So, like, the whole problem with this fallacy is that you're predicting that something that is more specific, right, that has more conditions, is more likely when, in fact, it's not. But I think it makes it seem more... You're actually saying it's more plausible. And I think that's because we attach meaning, right, to more specific things. Like, if I'm telling you the story of one individual you know, refugee, I can probably get you to care about refugees in general more than if I just give you a bunch of statistics about all refugees, right? Um, and that's just sort of how our minds work. We have trouble with large numbers, right? Um, and the sort of proof in the pudding here is there is a way to tell the Linda story. And there are these controversies about the phrasing of the Linda problem that, you know, can affect the outcome. But even when you change the phrasing, it still pretty much comes out people will pick the wrong probability. But there is one version of the Linda problem that um, corrects very strongly for, uh, for probability, and it, it goes more like this. Um, you give the same setup. You say, you know, Linda you know, was very active in politics and issues of discrimination. Uh, and then instead of asking, you know, how likely is it that Linda is right, this or that, you say there are 100 people who fit the description above, right, that fit Linda's description, and then you ask, how many of them are bank tellers? Out, give, you know, and then fill out the blank out of 100. So blank out of 100 are bank tellers, right? And then ask, um, how many are bank tellers and active in the feminist movement? And then fill in blank out of 100, right? Then people are way more on target, right? So originally 85% said, oh yeah, it's way more likely that Linda is a bank teller and active in the feminist movement. This time, the people who make the mistake and think that overall it's more likely goes to zero. Like, literally, no one screws this up when you make them judge out of 100, right, versus just think about Linda and, and the likelihood of her being just one thing or these other, you know, these two things. 
Um, and what's happening is, you know, they're thinking about it mathematically and it becomes obvious. Oh, well, of course, right? Like then, you know, not that many people could possibly be this and that, right? Um, but when they're just thinking about Linda, that one individual, um, their math gets all screwed up. So forcing people to think about things mathematically sort of can take a lot of the edge off of bias. And we've seen this before, right? Like when you are stop and have to think about things rationally, um, a lot of that bias goes away. But, uh, but when you're just having your gut reaction to the initial scenario, you fall back on this representativeness heuristic and you're just, well, it feels like Linda's probably a feminist and a bank teller, right? Rather than just a bank teller. Um, another thing that uh, reduces the bias, doesn't eliminate it, but it reduces it apparently, is if you're given the opportunity to talk to other people about Linda, <laughs> then, um, then the odds of you making that mistake go down. And again, it's sort of like if you step back and actually think it through and talk to other people and are be able to get you know, more perspective, you realize, okay, this actually doesn't make any sense. But on your own, like left to your own devices and your own you know, biases, that's, that's how it comes out. Um, so anyway... This is one of those rare cases where I'm able to give you some kind of hope that <laughs> there are ways to kind of get around this particular bias, but I really do find it fascinating because I totally fall for it myself all the time. Um, so that is the conjunction fallacy. Um, that is all for this week. We'll have another one for you next week for the Cognitive Bias Podcast. I'm your host, David Dolan Thomas. Um, reach out to me on Facebook, the uh, facebook.com slash Cognitive Bias Podcast, and tell me what, like, you know, your sort of biases are like around this like what you know what you would fall for come up with your own like versions of the linda problem that you think you'd fall for um we can talk about it there um that is all for this week we'll see you next time